Welcome back to Carlisle's Insights and Indicators podcast, where our head of global research, Jason Thomas, shares his insights and opinions based on our composite portfolio data and analysis of recent government reports. All of the data that we discussed today is accurate as of the recording of October 3rd, 2022. Jason, let's start by helping investors understand what they should take away from third quarter GDP data for the U.S., where were their drags on the U.S. economy, and where were their bright spots? Well, well thanks very much, Jonathan. Uh, with the U.S., I would say, first of all, we, we did see a marked deterioration in fixed residential investment. So for a period of time, uh, if you looked at nominal revenues, gross revenues of, of businesses that are in that space, uh, they were still growing, even as real activity had contracted because of successive rounds of price increases. But now, uh, material sales demand is, is actually contracting in nominal terms as well. Essentially, what we saw was a sudden stop in construction activity. And this is uh, related, of course, to the sharp increase in mortgage interest rates. There was a time during September when mortgage interest rates on average were in excess of 7%. That was a 200 basis point increase over about an eight-week period. So dramatic increase in mortgage interest rates led to a sharp slowdown and housing market activity in terms of mortgage originations, sales, transactions. Uh, and then it also led to, again, what I would characterize as a sudden stop in, in new construction activity. So that, that's a big drag on, on Q3 GDP. In addition, we continue to see a decline in goods purchases. So households have really shifted uh, in their consumption. They've, they've stopped purchasing things like appliances and electronics. Uh, patio furniture, things like that, and, and actually switched over to experiences, travel, tourism, live events. And, and in fact, uh, we did see both when you look at employments, domestic employments, those are actually above 2019 levels. We saw uh, on a seasonally adjusted basis of increase in uh, hotel stays. So uh, they're the actually, again, running above 2019 levels. So on the whole, uh, pretty good news as it relates to experiences, uh, spending, the, the, those services. And I would also say that we continue to see relatively strong growth in business spending. A lot of this is related to digital transformation. You know, and, and I do think that one thing we've learned is that businesses from the pandemic and having to go virtual and how to, having to lean in on digital technology to a greater extent are very reluctant to cut these budgets. They continue to grow. Uh, there's the sense that competitive pressures are such that businesses have to be operating at the frontier of technology for their industry to be competitive. And so, again, still strong spending. There's going to be likely downward pressure on budgets going forward. But, but I think here, again, experience suggests that, that this is going to be a bit stronger than, than people might otherwise expect. And on the whole, you know, adding it all up, I think it was a, a pretty weak quarter, but it's still clearly growth. Uh, and, and I think that from the official statistics, we will see a rebound in, in GDP growth and in the positive territory after a disappointing first and second quarter. Jason, you referenced mortgage rates. Related, after the September Federal Open Market Committee meeting, we saw big increases in forward interest rates. What do you believe will be the implications for financial conditions and economic activity in the U.S.? Yeah, well, I would say that it was interesting to see the Fed really guide markets up to a much higher terminal interest rate. So for a period of time, markets had been expecting the Fed would top out at around 
three and a quarter, maybe three and a half percent. So that would be the, the terminal Fed funds rate with this hiking cycle. Now, uh, with a 75 basis point increase in September and the new summary of economic projections, markets anticipate that the Fed is going to finish closer to four and a half percent. So that means that with rates right now at about 3.1% overnight rates in the US, uh, that means that there's going to be another 100 to 150 basis points of tightening, probably delivered in November and then December. And I think that what the issue that investors need to concern themselves with is potential for nonlinearities here. And, and really what that means is that not every 100 basis point increment uh, is, is created equal. So going from 1% to 2% interest rates is really no big deal. Going from 2 to 3% isn't that impactful either. But now going from 35 to 4.5% really could have some significant ramifications. Because when you think about the stock of debt being refinanced at, at a higher rate, that's going to mean that all of a sudden corporate cash flow may not be sufficient to, in some cases, to cover their interest expense. So, so you have just the, the impact on corporate cash flow. Uh, governments are, are going to have to pay uh, significantly more uh, on their borrowing. And certainly, uh, treasuries who have financed themselves with largely short-term debt are going to you know, experience this uh, to a much greater extent, much faster. The United States certainly is, is one such uh, country. And I think that you know, overall, uh, in many economies, you have mortgage interest rates that actually reset in a relatively short period of time. So the US is largely insulated uh, from the effect of, of these higher interest rates in the mortgage market, because most US mortgages are fixed rate, and, and most of the, those are, of course, 30-year fixed rate. So there's no, no adjustment at all. Uh, in much of the rest of the world, the mortgage market is either floating rate, it's adjustable rate mortgages, or the mortgages reset after relatively short periods, maybe you know two or five years, something like that. So in many of those economies, with the Fed pushing rates up and, and other central banks having to follow suit, there's a potential for really a big impact on household finances as interest rates on mortgages consume a larger share of income. And of course, a number of economies, advanced economies, where uh, household indebtedness is, is very high, in many cases, in excess of 100% of GDP. And in, in those economies, uh, these higher rates are, are really going to hit potentially very hard. So, you know, I, again, I, I think that this is significant. It was the, the rate hikes thus far, you know, certainly have been painful, certainly have led to uh, an adjustment in, in asset prices, a tightening of financial conditions in the US globally, certainly has had significant upward pressure on the foreign exchange value of the dollar. But now we're starting to get into territory where I think investors need to, to take a closer look and try to, you know, start working through the arithmetic on where rates of, again, four, four and a half percent, where that really starts to bite. Because I think it, it, we're starting to get into, again, areas where this is much more serious and, and the risks have become much more elevated. Now that we've talked about the conditions in the US, let's move across the Atlantic. Jason, has Europe already entered into a recession? Well, you know, there, there's quite a lot of uh, variation across economies, um, and, and, and we see that in the data. But, you know, it seems that Germany is in a recession. A lot of that is related to the industrial sector and the increase in, in gas prices, uh, the increase in electricity prices. So, you know, even in economies, there's a very significant variation across industries. But it does seem that the impact of higher energy prices has really you know, started to have an impact on some of those really uh, energy-intensive sectors. 
And you can think of, you know, whether you use natural gas as a feedstock for the creation of chemicals or uh, for fertilizers, or if you're using gas for high heat, for metallurgy, glass, ceramics, you know, th- those kinds of things in furnaces. And, and it's just some of those processes have become uneconomic. Interestingly, uh, the, the full effect of those higher energy prices have not really flowed through as yet, both because of hedges that are in place, but then also some of the subsidies and subsidy programs that many European governments have entered into. So I think over time, there's going to be, uh, unfortunately, just more of those uh, cost increases flowing through, and, and that's going to um, you know, potentially deepen the contraction that is being observed. So again, I think much of the attention thus far in the broader discourse has really focused on humanitarian concerns. You know, are people going to have sufficient gas to heat their homes in the winter? And of course, this should be uh, everyone's priority and and it it deserves to receive top billing and, and receive the most attention. But there is this secondary impact, which is the fact that the European industrial sector consumes uh, about 14 billion cubic feet of, of uh, natural gas every day. And the fact that the price is increased by orders of magnitude and, and availability has gone down is, is starting to have a, uh, a big impact. And then, you know, of course, outside of the European Union, now the United Kingdom just had, you know, a, a mini financial crisis in, in, in gilts in sterling over the course of the month because a plan put in place to uh, subsidize uh, energy costs for households and businesses that you know, some estimate could cost 6% of GDP, maybe even more, as long as the, the price cap is in effect. And then the question is, well, how is, how is this going to be financed? And rather than having new taxes to, to fund this uh, obligation, the government actually proposed very significant tax cuts. In fact, the largest tax cut package in 1972. So, you know, the numbers just weren't adding up. And, and that led to, again, a uh, sharp decline in the foreign exchange value of the pound and, and also a sharp increase in, uh, in forward interest rates in, in the UK as well. And, and I think in general, this is a problem that many European uh, economies are, are going to experience because the cost of these subsidies is extremely large as a share of GDP. And you know by shielding households and businesses from the costs of higher energy, they're actually encouraging more consumption of energy, which in some ways could, could make the problem uh, even worse. So I, I think there's a lot of flux in, in terms of the policy discussions in, in Europe. I, th- I think it's going to be a very interesting several months. You know, I, I do think it's an environment that could get very, very attractive from an investment perspective. You know, we've seen uh, some weakening of exchange rates, as I mentioned, valuations have, have also uh, declined. And then when you add into that, you know, a potential for, you know, pretty seismic change in policy as, as there's an effort to you know, try to make, again, the numbers add up with respect to domestic energy meeting needs. You know, again, by, by Q1 or so, I think we could have a, a very interesting investment environment. But, but right now, it does look to be a recession. And it's one that unfortunately could deepen in the coming months. Well, we'll continue to talk to you, Jason, over the next few months to keep apprised of what's happening in Europe. But for now, Finally, let's talk about the party Congress convening in China later this month on the 16th of October. How do you expect the party Congress to influence economic activity as we head into Q4 in China and beyond? Well, China's had a difficult year because of the rolling uh, lockdowns related to COVID. So, you know, really our data suggested that from March to June, the economy contracted uh, at something like a 9% annualized rate. So it's a fairly 
deep contraction. Again, just from from different uh, cities, municipalities shutting down for extended periods of time to uh, to stamp out infections. You also have the problems in the property sector, where really an intentional effort for policymakers to try to shrink fixed residential investment as a share of GDP to actually free up finite societal resources to go for you know higher value added manufacturing, technology, healthcare. And, and actually reduce the share of those resources that are being consumed by property development. So this is all very intentional, but it has had a negative impact on growth, as you've seen a you know very large declines in the amount of new square meters of floor space that are constructed and delivered to consumers, and and of course the the downturn in prices. So this has been a difficult year, and and I think that much of it has led up to the twentieth Party Congress this month where I think that there is going to be lots of decisions made about the direction of the economy over the next five years. Of course, the, the big issue at the party Congress is selecting a leader, which everyone anticipates will be uh, President Xi for you know, another uh, five-year term. But coming out of the Congress, there is now really widespread expectations that there is going to be reopening, there is going to be stimulus, and there is going to be a concerted effort to get growth back up to the 5% target, at least in, in 2023. And so, you know, this is, again, a difficult year. I think it's China may eke out positive growth for the year. Maybe not. It's really is very close to zero, again, just because of that, that period of contraction and, and the data from September were, you know, they were mixed, I would say. It certainly it much improved relative to that downturn, but not quite as robust a rebound as some had been hoping for. But, but again, I think starting really at the end of this month and then going into 2023, concerted effort to get growth back up to target. And, and then also, again, a focus on an economy where, where potential output is actually higher than it would otherwise be because of, again, taking those finite resources away from property development and the residential, uh, residential real estate, which just isn't necessary anymore given changed demographics. Uh, China's high-tech ambitions and, and moving it in, again, to, to more productive sectors. So uh, again, structural, kind of a five-year structural plan, but then uh, the cyclical short-term uh, efforts to, to get growth back up to the rates that we're, we're more accustomed to seeing in that economy. Jason, thanks for the great discussion today and takeaways from the third quarter of economic activity. Thanks again. Looking forward to our discussion next month.